Jonah applied. I picked up on a trend, or I, I started a trend so about a year ago that I think is, is quite effective, and that is that I, I use the Bible class time of Lord's Day Live for us to talk about how to remember that chapter. Then I use the sermon segment of Lord's Day Live to talk about how we should apply that particular chapter. And so we're into Jonah chapter 4, and here we go. Most of you uh, who are with me are familiar with why I do this, but here's five study questions for you to study on your own, or if you're part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, those will be the five questions that will be on your final test that will come in the email on Friday. You guys go ahead and screenshot that, and I'm going to get a little lubricant here, because I'm getting dry. Mm. All right, got it? Here we go. Jonah applied. Jonah runs from God in chapter 1. Chapter 2, Jonah, Jonah runs to God. Chapter 3, God, excuse me, Jonah runs with God. And then in chapter 4, <coughs> Jonah runs ahead of God. <coughs> I want to mention something about chapter 3 because it really sets us up for chapter 4, obviously. But I'm not really sure that Jonah's motives were correct in chapter 3. Now, he's going to run with God in the sense that he's going to do what God told him to do. Go preach to the city. He's going to do that. But his sermon is short, and it seems to be very, very reluctant. Uh, I think he actually spoke the words with spite. His sermon is basically, you got 40 days until you're destroyed. And I think he actually took some joy in telling those people, because he hated the Ninevites. I think he took had some joy in it. You're going to die. You're going to get destroyed. 40 more days is all you got left. So I'm not sure that in running with God, his motives were as they should have been at all. And I think there's a big application for you and I there as well, which I'll probably make towards the end of chapter Four. But uh, Jonah runs ahead of God. He's going to, in his arrogance, get out in front of God to the point that he actually is, feels like he has the right to be angry for something he didn't even bring about. Okay. Had a sneezing fit just a few moments ago, so I may do that again. I don't know. All right, here we go. Uh, in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and then 5 through 11, you find this text. And I'm going to read it all so that I can just highlight the three points here in just a moment. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. you got to go back to chapter 3. I think it's verse 10 to find out what was so displeasing to Jonah. And essentially, it is that they repented. He didn't want that to happen. Okay, So his short little sermon and his reluctant attitude, his spiteful conversation with people, I believe, actually led to results. They actually repented, and he wasn't happy. So he's going to do the, uh, going to do the boo-boo. He's going to do the the pouty thing, and he's going to go sit on a hill and watch. Jonah went out of the city and he sat east of the city, and he made a booth for himself. He's going to construct this little lean-to. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might shade, uh, might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching heat wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? 
All right, that's the context in which we are going to draw three points. And the three points are all going to center themselves around this idea of know your place. I think it's one of the things that probably Jonah got wrong most of all. And that is from the beginning, he thinks he's all that. I mean, think about chapter one. He actually thinks he has the power to run from God, that he can hide from God. That's pretty arrogant. And then you continue through the, the whole book, but basically now you come to chapter four and you, you find that now he's got the arrogance to think that he has the right to be disappointed in a people who actually turned and are now worshiping God. I mean, how arrogant is that? Know your place. There are three things that I think that we need to understand with regards to knowing our place. That is, number one, we need to understand the investment. God says rather harshly, but he needed harsh language. I don't get it, Jonah. You, you pity a plant that you didn't labor for. You didn't make it grow. It came up and died in a short amount of time, but you had no influence, no control over it. And yet you're more concerned, you're more enraged that a plant has died than you are that 120,000 people might be decimated, destroyed, because they are uh, opposed to me. I mean, where, where are your motives here, Jonah? I recently asked the young people, I said, you know, when you think about this, you, you need to consider that sometimes we, even today, value things more than we do people. Now, I didn't go this pointed in their direction because they're young and all that, but I'm going to be pointed for, with you. It's kind of my soapbox. I get that. But I want you to think about all the money we have trapped in that building that sits empty for the majority of the week. Big, massive auditorium, got all the pews. Who knows how much one pew costs, let alone all the pews that are sitting there. The big old podium that's up front, the big screen TVs, the stage, the, the classrooms, the fellowship hall, the, the paved parking lot, the marquee, you know, on and on you go. Things that are rarely used throughout the week. Yet we justify that as if, yeah, but that's for God. Is it really? Is that really where God would want his money to be spent? You know what we're doing. We are valuing our rear end in a padded pew more than we are missionaries who are operating with third-hand equipment. That's what we're doing, and it's sad. It's, it's remarkably sad of you and I to be just like Jonah. Jonah was upset because his little plant died that he didn't do anything really to, to present and to bring, it, to bring it about, but he's upset about that, and we get upset about little things with regards to stuff when our hearts should be broken that there are people who don't even have clean water. And yet I'm going to go sit in my padded pew this Sunday and allow my money that gets stuck into the, the plate that's passed around to go to paying an electric bill. Think about, we're guilty too, aren't we? We need to, the church needs to know its place. And our place is to be humble people responsible with God's money. And I don't think we're doing that. Number two, know your place we got to understand the value, the real value that's happening. Verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? I might say it a little bit different, 120,000 souls. This is not a place of 120,000 plants. It's a place of 120,000 people just like you, Jonah. They have a soul just like you. And they have the opportunity to come and know me. 
And so what do you do? Chapter 3, you give a short, reluctant sermon. And now that they have actually repented, you're upset about it. I mean, that's a horrible, horrible commentary on this, I call him the reluctant prophet of Jonah. Not a good example for preachers at all. In fact, it's just the upside down, the way that we ought to react to what God and his calling is for you and I. So let me again place it in a different direction. We got a, we got a world, the, the vast majority of which either has not heard the name of Jesus, or if they have, are in rebellion against the name of Jesus. We don't have time to build fellowship halls with gymnasiums, paving the parking lot, trapping God's money in all the vanity that we have here in America. It's time for you and I to downsize in a great way and use that money to reach out to people and stop valuing our rear end and the padded pew that we sit in every Sunday. We need to understand the value. And the value is not in a church building. The value is in people. And number three, we need to understand the responsibility that we have. These folks don't even know their right hand from their left. Now, I'm not sure what all is meant by that, but I have to think that God in his value system, with regards to why he even sent Jonah there in the first place, he's not really talking about mathematics or talking about just common sense things like, you know, understanding the left from the right. I don't. He's talking about they don't even know about their creator. Some of the most basic things. They don't even know me, the one who allows them to breathe. They don't even know me. They're right from their left. They don't even know me. I think that's what he's actually saying to Jonah. These 120,000 souls don't even know me. And you're more upset about a plant than you are about them. We need to know our responsibility. And our responsibility is to make sure that we pass along to two groups of people. One, those who have never heard the name. Two, those who have heard the name, but are re rejecting it. Those two groups of people are largely our mission field. That's As Jonah's, we are sent to those groups. Now, within that second group, there's going to be a lot of folks who suggest they do know the name of Jesus. They have submitted to Jesus. But these, these folks, by far the majority of them, are summed up in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. They're people who are, are content in the doctrines of men. But Lord, Lord, did we not? You see what they did? They took their confidence in what they have done, what mankind said is the best thing to do. But Matthew 7, 21 says that the reason they will be dismissed as evil people even though they expect to go to heaven, they'll be turned away. The reason that's going to happen is because they didn't do the will of the Father. Every day of every week, I debate individuals in Catholicism and Calvinism and beyond with regards to the fact that they are doing things that they think, the Reformation leaders thought, the Pope thought, needed to happen. And God says, depart from me. I don't know you. Because you're not doing my will. It's not the church. It's God. The church doesn't design doctrine. God designs doctrine. And you and I need to stop quoting Reformation leaders. May I even go further? Because I got a little bit upset yesterday with a preacher that I saw make a post. We need to stop buying theology books written by other men and start investing more of our time, preachers, in actually interacting with the Holy Spirit as we open the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to act upon our hearts. 
We trust too much in the opinions of men. Our responsibility is to make sure that we reach out to people with the message of God, not the message of our ancestors, not the message of our favorite speaker. We reach out to them with the message of God. So, know your place. Don't be a Jonah. Understand the investment. Understand the value. And understand the responsibility that you have as you are called by God to go to a certain people. Now, by way of review, you go back to Jonah chapter 1. He's called to go to Nineveh, and so he goes the opposite direction. He runs away from God. Don't be that person. There is somebody in your life that you have the opportunity. Probably God his, himself has perfectly designed the opportunity for you to go to that person and to speak with that person, but you might very well be a Jonah running in the opposite direction. Stop doing that. Chapter 2, he runs to God. When God corrects you, and he gives you opportunities, and he said, now look, I need you to do this job. And he pulls you out of the belly of the big fish. And he says, now go do my job. You run to God. Chapter 3. And then as God gives you the message, you present that message. Do better than Jonah. Because I'm convinced that he had a short sermon that was reluctant, and a motives that were just completely messed up. I think he wanted the people to perish. And I think when he said, 40 more days and you're going to be... I think he was thrilled to say it. Don't be that person. And then number four, know your place. Stay with God. Don't run ahead of him. Let God lead. Let him open the doors. And by the way, if he doesn't open the door, don't kick it down. Wait on God. Don't get out ahead of him. Because that kind of pride will get you a hot spot in hell. Know your place. Understand the investment, the value, and the responsibility. Here are the five questions that we tried to cover in that lesson. You got them?